Set the mood. on Mission Podcast. Mike Moore, can you feel the mood? Yeah, I feel like you're a smooth jazz DJ. Well, you know, I always had to work with Holesclaw to get him into the mood. He's always a little too jumpy. Mm. You're not that way. No, I, I don't drink as much coffee as Jeff does. Yeah, you're a little more laid back. Yeah, I received that. Thank you. It's a positive quality. Yeah. It's lent a certain uh, different tone to the Theology on Mission <laughs> podcast. That's the way I see it anyway. I receive that. Um, what what are you looking forward to? I was just thinking about this. You know, pe- people aren't looking forward to things as much anymore because it's still quarantine, COVID-19. Anything you're looking forward to? Yeah, I'm looking for COVID-19 to be over. <laughs> <laughs> Set you up on that one. Uh, it's kind of a hockey question, actually. Oh, but, uh, yes. Here we are, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Mike Moore lands a softball over the plate, and I and I swing and miss. That's all right. Uh, Just like the but, Blackhawks. Yeah, well, hey, hey, hey. Uh, Sidney Crosby hasn't been on the ice the last yeah, He's been days. hurt. <laughs> so your Pittsburgh Penguins might not be in good shape. I know, I know. Ladies and gentlemen from all across North America, all five listeners to Theology mm-hmm. on Mission podcast, we're so glad to have you with us again uh, on this podcast where theology meets mission, the questions of engaging our culture for Christ and his kingdom. Yes, and if you have it in your heart, give us a good review, yes. will you? And tell Please. other people about it. Yeah, because, spread the good word. Because Mike Moore, he, he, he needs more attention. I need those five stars. I mean, it's been one year. Is it your one-year anniversary? Yesterday. Yesterday. It's yep. one year. Okay, mm-hmm. so he's probably not getting uh, as much attention as he was at the first. <laughs> this is true. So he needs a little attention. <laughs> Give us a review on Please Apple do. Tunes or wherever you listen to the podcast. Yeah, you, you got a great title. You got a great title for this one. Do you like it, really? I, I like it. What is the title that you like? Uh, do you want me to read the title? Sure. The Top Five Fundy Backlashes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and as seen, by the way, in progressive <laughs> evangelicals today. Uh, uh, put this on my Facebook uh, the other day. And by the way, you can follow me on Facebook, FitJest. Uh, and we have conversations there almost every day, mm-hmm. especially Monday through Friday. Saturday, I sometimes, uh, you know, uh, I'm sleeping in. or and Sunday, sometimes, if you're writing your sermon, you'll... Sundays Put something up there? Uh, if I'm writing my sermon, I won't be on Facebook, hopefully. <laughs> but anyways, uh, the, the whole idea of a fundy backlash, yeah, yep. uh, it starts with the fact that in the last 30, 40 years, and I really do believe it happened like somewhere in the 60s, that's when it started, but you had a major cultural shift. You had cultural shifts of huge proportions, and I'm not just talking about the the... the the understanding of racism in our culture uh, and that this country was not founded as a Christian nation, but actually something quite different. Mm -hmm. But also the sexuality questions started to arise. 
uh, the idea of Christianity um, got challenged in our culture. And there's just major cultural shifts. Um, and, and slowly, especially as we got into the 80s and 90s, um, we, we had uh, a lot of our basic core understandings about life challenged. And, and maybe I should say when I say our, I think white evangelicalism has particularly lost yeah. its hegemony or its dominance yep. in culture. And so whenever you have a cultural shift, your, your, your church's your way of life gets challenged and you're going to get defensive. Right. Or we often react defensively and we want to protect uh, our, our basic core beliefs around which we have uh, identified who we are and how we live. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's just natural once you get defensive um, that uh, coercion happens, you know. And it's the coercion that's never good. You know, we get defensive and we, we use legalism or we use rules or the preacher starts saying things, you better do this or else. Right, right. And, and, and dare, you do not dare question the church. Right. Do not touch God's anointed. All that stuff starts to happen and yeah. it's coercive. Yeah. You could feel it. And the result is a reaction. It's and a backlash. Re- it's a backlash, and it's almost to an excessive uh, degree. And so every one of these backlashes, I want to contend, um, has led to some, uh, a progressive uh, uh, evangelicalism. Gotcha. And uh, it, it, it kind of, there was something good here that was, to be honest, good that was being protected, mm-hmm. but it kind of got lost. Okay. It kind of got thrown in the wash. Yeah. Or wait. That's not the metaphor. Yeah, thrown in the wash. The baby got thrown out with the baby water. Uh, no, bath water. Bath water. Baby. Thing. Bath. Yeah. Baby bath. Something. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I thought it'd be helpful just to look at these things. Yeah, but before you jump in, just to yeah. clarify, so it says top five fundy backlashes. Yeah. As seen in progressives today, are you saying they're backlashing against fundamentalism, or that the backlash is evidence of fundamentalism? Because oftentimes we talk about fundamentalism either on the conservative or the progressive side. Yes. Um, no, I'm talking about conservative fundamentalism. Okay. I actually don't think progressive evangelicalism, or for that matter, Protestant mainline liberalism, actually makes sense mm-hmm. apart from the things they're reacting to. You know, right, right. Protestant mainline, the, the 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 development of a kind of Protestant mainline church actually happened in the 20s, the modernist fundamentalist mm-hmm. controversies. Right. And they were reacting... Uh, to a, a defensive posture yeah, yeah. and a coercive posture. Right. And by the way, for Anabaptists like you and me, mm-hmm. coercion is not the way God works. Yeah, it never works. Like, like when you're, you're, you don't know about this yet, but when you have a son or a daughter in mm-hmm. the room and, and they're saying something to you uh, <laughs> and they want to do something that you know is a complete mess right. and actually you, you're feeling it's like defying you personally, yeah. the worst thing you can do is come down hard yeah. and coerce and, and institute some kind of awful judgment. And it just doesn't work. Yeah. It creates a backlash. Right. right. Instead, we want to open up space, connect, be present, discern with, hmm. and allow space to I always tell professors, yeah, uh, there's so much backlash against. Um, uh, it's been so long since I've been uh, in a fundamentalist atmosphere. Right. I can hardly remember it. Yeah. I, part of me wants to say, 
Does it still exist? <laughs> it does. It still it still does exist. But you and I both know there's a lot of people out there who are angry, oh, yeah. resentful, and you got to give them space. Yeah. Well, I think that's a lot of the pro- uh, the progressive evangelical movement. And we've said this before on this podcast. Yeah. A lot of it is reaction and um it's rooted in a, a lot of anger and because a lot of people have been mistreated, but it's hard to disciple people or to minister to or with them until they've actually engaged with the anger or until they've uncovered the anger and processed the anger. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Cause your tendency is to throw the baby out with the Mm -hmm. bathwater. Get rid of it. Yep. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Lay it on me. You got five. All right. So let's just take a, uh, let's just take these one at a time. Uh, okay. The book of revelation. Now, when I was good, this is a long time ago, folks, because I'm a little older. The thief in the night. I'm a little older than Mike Moore. Okay. Uh, I'm curious that if I'm curious to know whether he went through this, but when I went through it, the book of Revelation was about, you know, big government, uh, 666, the rapture, Uh thief in the night. Yeah. Uh, And and there was this great book in the New Testament that got turned into eschatology for coercion, you know, scare Mm -hmm. tactics to cause people to live more holy and, you know, stay apart from the world. And I believe the main backlash, first of all, did you experience this going? Yeah, but for me, it wasn't Thief in the Night. It was the Left Behind series. Oh. The Left Behind series was massively successful. It came out when I was in high school and college. And I read I read a few of the books. Um, but, but at that point, I was, I, I was in college, and I was having some good education from some great professors. From those Anabaptists. Yeah, yes, yes. Yeah. So I was able to, to unpack a little more. But yeah, the, the Left Behind series was My Generation's Thief in the Night. So now, did you feel there was a coercion here? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I was scared to death after some of those movies. <laughs> well, how, how old were you when you saw it? I think probably starting at 10 all the way up to 15 or 16. Yeah, yeah. I, I have other friends who they would go to these youth events where you like walk through these rooms that are really dark and they imagine that you're watching your life before you, and then you go into the judgment room. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it, and they were like eight or nine when they went to these things. And and there was the sense that uh, this all was going to happen imminently. Oh yeah. Oh, I, it was going to happen when you left, when you got in a car accident. Yeah. Driving home. And and I think the reaction, and maybe this is uh, one of the weaker ones of the five backlashes, but Uh I think, like, I have met many progressive evangelicals who just don't think eschatology matters. In fact, uh, it doesn't have any relevant place in their lives. Yeah. Is this true? Yeah, I I think you point this out a lot for, on the progressive end, people who are really driven by social justice, not that that's bad, but who are driven to the extent where they feel like they have to embody and uh, or they, they have to bring the kingdom by their actions, right? Like they're going to bring the kingdom. They're going to change things. They're, they're going to change the government. They're going to change their neighborhood. And then they just end up getting burnt out. But it's often because uh, their eschatology is vapid. It's or just they lacking. don't have an eschatology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just yeah. doesn't exist. And so, um, folks, we need to have, we need to create a space first of all for people to unwind all the anger towards all the manipulation that they received at the hands of a bad use of the book of revelation yes yes and uh then tune back in to god is at work mm-hmm. that he's bringing in his kingdom that there is an eschatology going on here right. and that we do not know 
the day or the hour of the completion of the age, but we know that he's working towards mm -hmm. his purposes. Yes. And we need an eschatology or else there is no mission. Yes. Yeah, it's great. I, All right. I was going to ask you for a book recommendation on that topic, but maybe we can add that later in the show notes. I'm not prepared to answer that. Yeah, yeah that's fine. I knew you were. Uh, all right. So, secondly, uh, the a second backlash is is what we are used to calling the substitutionary view of the atonement, mm -hmm. and this is the idea uh, that I mean, they there, there's some great, there's some good historical atonement theory here. It's tied to the Reformation that illumines how God has dealt with sin on the cross of Jesus Christ, but then. They added coercion, telling people, you are going to hell at the wrath of God if you don't make this decision right now to receive yes. the substitution, pardon. And there's a, there's a backlash. Right, right. Um, I don't know what to say, but something happened between Billy Graham, which was really, I don't know, I didn't sense a lot of coercion from Billy. Yeah, yeah. To turning it into a hellfire brimstone, you're going to hell right. if you don't do what I say. Right. Yeah, I, I think the cultural moment that was Billy Graham somehow got galvanized and maybe a little commodified too, where other pastors said, oh, I see what he's doing. Well, maybe we can take what he did and we can manipulate it and turn it into more or less a scare tactic. I mean, similar to the first thing we were talking about, but a scare tactic to kind of drive people away from hell and heaven, so to speak. Yeah, and... Uh, the bad part of this is that uh, the backlash is that many progressives just don't see any merit in the representative aspects of the atonement. Hmm. Uh, maybe losing the capacity to see sin and rebellion and evil at yeah. the core of what God has done in the atonement or what he's done in Christ in the victory over yeah, these things. Yeah, yeah. And how they talk about sin, right? Because there's a very different way between how conservatives and progressives or fundamentalists in the backlash talk about sin, right? Oh, I agree, yes. I mean, I, I think on the conservative side, it's mostly guilt. Would you say that's right? Judgment. Judgment, yeah. You're going to hell. And on the progressive side? Um, the progressive side is you are loved. Mm -hmm. and but, but what is sin? Um you are loved. <laughs> uh, I think I, I think sin is, is mostly like systemic, but it doesn't. Oh, I, I, that's kind of the difference yeah. I see, right? Like yeah. like sin is the system that we're liberation in. from injustice yes. for the full flourishing and restoration right. of your the image of God in you. Yeah, and and they they both have something right. Yes, but, but absolutely. They're, but they're kind of rever reverbing off of each other. And and, and my own. My point here is is that I think um, uh, that we do need to hold on to uh, the representative nature, some of the representative nature of what God has done in Christ and the right. atonement. Yes, yeah. Um, there's no need to get rid of it entirely. It just got commodified and coerced. Mm -hmm. Coercion got put into it, and now there's a reaction against it. And uh, there's plenty of bad... Uh, versions of substitutionary view of the atonement. Oh yeah. Um, there's uh, and, and you know uh, what was his name Mel Gibson in that whole Passion of the Christ. Yeah, I mean that to me was the excess. Oh yeah. Of 
and, and the idea that we see God as this person that wants to kill his son right. to assuage uh, and satisfy his own sense of justice. Yeah. There's just a lot of problematics there that allow, for good reason, mm-hmm. progressives to just say, oh, that's, that's weird. Yeah, that's, totally. That's ugly. Mm-hmm. And we need to we need to open up space to process that. Yes, uh, uh, I think uh, N.T. Wright, the day the yeah. revolution began. Yep, yep. I think the way Greg Boyd understands what's going on there in the crucifixion. Mm-hmm. I think all that stuff is so great, and I'm so glad they've written all that stuff. And it's fundamentally changed the way I see Jesus. Yeah, that's good. And what yeah. God has done in Christ yeah. on the cross. Great books. All right, number three. Here's a good one. For oh yeah. You. Purity culture. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, my case here is that evangelical fundamentalists took some good historical Christian wisdom, you know, the idea of being faithful and chastity before marriage as mm-hmm. preparation for the fullness of monogamy. It's really, by the way, an incredible Christian uh, idea. Oh, yeah. Yep. Uh, found almost nowhere else in the mm-hmm. world. Uh, but when you had all the cultural changes and all of the, uh, I mean, it's, it's scary out there for parents and churches. Yeah. Um, they added coercion to it and rules right. and consequentialism. Right. Yeah. If you have sex before you're married, you are ruined. Um, you are, if you, you are, if you don't have sex before you're married, your sex will be the best sex ever commodified it mm-hmm. uh, actually uh, frankly uh, never dealt with any of the underlying problematics in the cultural understandings of attraction right. and marriage and sexuality never dealt with the way we even I mean men are lusting for women and vice right. versa that's never dealt with oh that's just part of being natural and now we're just going to uh make sure you don't do anything right right right, right. or you're going right. to go to hell or another right. version you're going to get somebody pregnant or you're going to have venereal disease or all these bad yes. things are going to yes. happen yep. and um frankly it was a disaster yeah oh yeah and, and the consequences are all around us right now and, and this was mostly a reaction to the sexual revolution in the 60s, right? Right. And the purity culture came out with true love weights, you know, uh, wear a purity ring, go to a purity ball. Uh, you know, I, I mean, everything. I, I grew up in all this stuff. But now, I mean, in, in, for me especially, because most of my peers are in their 30s, I've mostly done ministry with um, 20-year-olds. I mean, the idea of celibacy is it's just not practiced. It, I mean, it, it, is, it is gone. Yeah. We, we've thrown it all out. We've rejected, you know, Christian sexual <clears throat> mores and replaced it with almost a, a deeper alignment with cultural self-expressivism. Absolutely, yep. And um, we've thrown out the baby with the bathwater. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think this has actually got us in a big mess. Yeah, it, there needs to be a recovery of singleness and marriage and how they fit into the life of the church and that that requires the church to dismantle the idolatry of marriage that we've been worshiping for the last 40, 50 years, well, plus in, in North America. We've just set it on a pedestal. We've worshiped it. And then if you don't fit it into the, you know, um, nuclear family in North America, uh, then you're just kind of left on the side. And, and, yeah, we talk about this a lot. Uh, but what James Dobson did... Um, 
uh, I mean, what what we've done with we basically hallmark televisionized uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and and elevated the family up to so high an idol. Right. And you got to look this way, feel this way. And if you do these five things, right, you'll get it. And it never works out. Nope. Nope. No, it's it's a process, folks. But anyways, all that coercion just actually went the other direction. Yeah. Now we have full out self-expressive sexuality. Right. And and occasionally, if you're in Texas, you'll hold on to monogamy with that self-expressive right. sexuality. Right. Right. But the same sexuality, the same objectifying misogyny, uh -huh. all the other stuff is still there. We're just going to make it kosher. Right. Right. Yeah. We're just going to endorse it now. Yeah. Yeah. We need more discernment around that. By the way, I'm getting huge reverb right now, but we're going to get we're going to get through this. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, on the uh, we we need new microphones, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. Okay, yeah. yeah. Uh, Give us five stars so we can buy new microphones. <laughs> yeah, give us a review so we can buy new mics. Yeah. Number four. Uh, number four is this idea of the Bible is inerrant in every word. Mm. Now, in and of itself, that's a, I mean, evangelical fundamentalists were trying to do something really good and really important, holding yeah. on to this Christian belief that the Bible's authoritative. And it's, it's given to us uh, from God uh, via Christ, the apostles and the prophets. Mm. But did you, when you were growing up, get the added coercion element? You know, the Bible is inerrant, and you better not question it. Uh, the Bible yeah, is yeah. inerrant no matter what anybody says, and to disbelieve yeah. it is apostasy, yeah, and you're going to hell. Yeah, what's the bumper sticker? Like, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. Yeah. Have you seen that? Yeah, yeah. a very hardened kind of legalism around right inerrancy and i don't know about you but even i was worried at the age of like 18 or 19 oh my goodness i found an error in the bible it's all over there's a contradiction here well a error according to who well some scientists right, figured right. this out and they go well that's not what the bible is but yes. most progressives it do you remember when rachel held evans who's no longer with us wrote mm -hmm. that book where she rent around, oh, right? I can't remember the name of it. Uh, Bibli yeah. Oh, uh, but she went around and and kind of acted out all the weird, excessive right, right. Uh, laws about women, menstruation, mm -hmm. all this other stuff, mm -hmm. just to show how kind yeah, of absurd, ridiculous yeah. it was. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, I I feel like that's a reaction to not placing the Bible in a historical context, context seeing yeah. it as some sort of an errant biblical truth, even where it talks about women have to separate their husbands and be in a tent or go live on a roof for <laughs> right, weeks. Right. You know? <laughs> and, and there's that reaction to that because there was this, this weird coercion going on. What would you say the reaction is now? Um, well, Bart Ehrman. Oh, that guy, yeah. Yep. Uh, has has made a living off of writing books about how there's errors in the Bible and everything mm -hmm. he learned at Moody or Wheaton. Right, was, right. What, what about the group, uh, the Jesus Seminar? Is that still, do you know about the Jesus Seminar? Uh, they, they go through and they like color code the Gospels based on how accurate they think each section is. Are they is. still doing it? I think, I think so. I but, mean, maybe that's McKnight's territory okay, because okay. Um, I'm not familiar with that, but I do know there are still a lot of people reacting 
to that kind of um, excessively oversimplified coercive idea of the Bible as inerrant. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, I believe in the authority of the Bible. Sure. I believe that it's God's word. I believe that God inspired through the Spirit, through the prophets, apostles, yeah. etc. Yeah. But inerrancy was a was a weird coercive reaction against people, especially Protestant liberalism, threatening its integrity through historical errors and all that stuff. Yeah. I the, the reaction I've seen is uh I mean it's kind of like a to use your language, like like a hallmarking of the Bible now. Like you pick the passages that are kind of inspirational and you put those on a plaque or you put them on your wall. Uh, and the question that you ask when you read scripture with other people is, how do you feel about this? Yes. You know, um, or yes. Wh- what, what, do you, what do you think this says? It, it, it's not what does scripture say? It's yes. what, what do you think it says? You know, so, so you're saying the reaction is it, it's kind of turned the Bible into a personal, inspirational yeah. story. Book. Yeah, yeah. Hyper-individualistic, inspirational. And, I mean, and, and you might disagree with it, but like you just disagree with the part you disagree with. But you take what you, what you want to take. Yeah, about 10, 10 or 15 years ago, uh, Brian McLaren wrote a book, uh, and I'm trying to... Remember New kind that. of Christian. Uh, oh no, this Bible one—the uh, one with Jesus about the Gospels. Well, he I secret message of Jesus. But I actually like that book. But okay. there was one that followed it where he painted the Bible as a library of kind of inspirational stories, mm. and mm-hmm. um, I kind of got that. I I think that's maybe uh, pressing it too far to to blame him for what you were describing. Sure, sure. Um, but I got that opinion that this is an inspirational book to lead us into a deeper experience with mm-hmm. God in whatever way that's going to look. And it kind of lost its uh, authority right? And in it's, terms of an outside objective yeah. way. And it's, it's really no different than any other inspirational book, whether it be the Bhagavad Gita or a collection of poems. You know, they're all kind of in the inspirational like uh, encouragement category. Yeah. Now, I've met some people who would who are within Protestantism that would say that, but most, I don't think Protestant mainlines would go. No, no. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that's mainlines. It's just that the pushback is, um, that the Bible gets relativized, Mm -hmm. uh, made into these book of aspirations, uh, not to be taken seriously whenever moral junctures are contradicted by the culture. Like, you know, when, when it's culturally out of step, and yeah. I think we need to treat the Bible with more, much more, with an authority that goes above that level. Yes, yeah, deference. Yep. All right, so we got one last one to Number go. Number five. Um, and this uh, idea was that, um, well, um, evangel- science and evolution are wrong. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's evangelical fundamentalists took uh, kind of an important Christian teaching on, let's say, God's creation. Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And it got challenged by evolution and science. And then they added this coercive element. Hmm. Now evolution is evil. To believe in it is sin. And then they invented this creationist science to prove it wrong. And there is a backlash. Uh, Tell me if if you've experienced this. But there's we've almost gone the other way science whether it be medical science psychotherapeutic science neuroscience neuroscience um 
earth science has more authority than the Bible. And whenever I push back on the idea that, you know what, science is not as an objective as right. you want to make it. Right. People always go, oh, you're doing the fundamentalist thing on me yeah, all yeah. over again. Well, when you push back like that, what are you getting at? What am I getting yeah. at? I'm getting at the fact that uh, we know for at least 100 years that science has been used ideologically. Sure to back very evil, like for instance, Nazi Germany was yep. famous for using medical science to justify the Holocaust or right. eugenics or various other things they were doing to manipulate. Uh, but science is always used uh, in other ways. Like even today, mm -hmm. uh, billions and billions of dollars of medicines are sold. Yeah, ph pharmaceuticals. Pharmaceuticals based on uh, so-called objective science. Yeah, well, yeah, and modern warfare has been transformed by, by science in the last 50 years. Yeah. And there's ideology behind that. Oh, really. yeah. Uh, and and re really, we want to give more authority to science, whether it's in terms of our mental health. Not that we shouldn't listen, discern. I mean, drugs, uh, stuff that can help us yep. even... Drugs that can help our mental states. I'm not mm -hmm. saying, folks, that's bad. I'm just saying they need to be discerned right. as right. people of God out of the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, but we've gone the other direction. Yeah. Science is king. Right. And the scriptures or God or his, the gospel is kind of an add-on. And yeah. I'm, I feel like that's a step back or yeah. in the wrong direction. I, I think that's related to... To, to number four, too. We can kind of compartmentalize scripture. Okay, so scripture has to do with that, but science can tell me a little more about the rest of my life. Uh, if I read neuroscience, I can kind of figure out like how my brain is firing and the neurons going between all, you know, all the chemicals in my brain, and that explains that. Yeah. Um, it, it can maybe explain like why your brain is firing in a certain way. Yeah. But it doesn't necessarily uh, get to some of the questions of, like, what does it mean to be human? Right. Like, why are we human? Or where's this world going? How are we part of where this world is going? Or What's even, God doing? Even it doesn't get how God changes the, the brain chemistry Absolutely. of your brain mm -hmm. under the power of the Holy Spirit yes, as if yes. that can't happen. Yeah. Um, I, have, I just had a student uh, last month doing a doctorate using brain science. Oh, interesting. Fascinating huh. how certain parts of brain science kind of illumine what happens in conversion and huh. what are the various things that go on. Uh, but <laughs> we don't want to determine our lives by what our right. brain science is going to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Uh, I don't even know how you'd do that. Uh -huh. So anyways, the point is... Um, that we need to just keep science in its rightful place, mm -hmm. not dismiss it, but not make it king or lord of our lives. Yeah. But discern it. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Nice. All right. Well, um, there they are, the five yeah. fundy reactions. This has been good. I think this is, it gives a helpful grid or a helpful lens for people to understand kind of what's happening in this cultural moment. Yeah, uh, really. I think pastors, especially um, if they're dealing with a lot of people in their 30s, 20s, 30s, mm -hmm. who are reacting to fundam you, fundamentalism, you got to give them some space. Right. 
right. uh, you got to give them uh, avenues to sort it out and unwind and mm -hmm. then recover what is good, uh, not let it go. Right. And uh, too often we just say, I've had it with you, and we give them more coercion, and that's not going to work. Right, yeah. Or, yeah. Or, or we just let them go on their own because we don't feel equipped to actually engage with them. Yeah. You know, and, and hopefully this is part of some of the equipping. It does take a lot of patience. It sure does. Um, and I'm not putting myself in the category where I'm better than any of these yeah. people who are going through this. I have gone through oh, yeah. every one of these yep. things. Still reverbing on some of these. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. All right. Well, it's been good to be with you. This yeah. microphone is... Yeah, I'm, sorry. It's killing me right now. <laughs> You've done an admirable job. Yeah, I've been trying to push through. If I've been sounding a little weird out there, it, it's because it, I'm If you take one of your headphones off, take both of them off, that actually might Testing, help. Testing, one, two, three. Actually, that would have helped if you would have told me that about <laughs> I, 20 minutes I, I ago. I honestly thought about that uh, <laughs> a few minutes ago. I was like, I should have just had him do this. Oh, well, here we are. But, folks, it's, it's been good to uh, be with you and uh, be here in Theology on Mission. It's been good to be with you, Mike, more again. Yeah, you've been away for a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. I'm going away in a couple oh, of yeah? weeks. Oh, yeah, I didn't know that. But we're going to keep trying to do Theology on Mission podcasts because there's so much going, going on here. Yep. Uh, and even during COVID, so we want to stay up to date. Now is the time. All, All right. right. Well, till next time, don't forget to give us a review. Uh, look up a Seminary Now. It's a new thing that Northern mm -hmm. Seminary is doing in partnership with InterVarsity Press. Yeah. And we're really excited about it. And we got some classes firing off here in a we, couple weeks. Uh, we're looking forward to September. As of now, it looks like uh, we got all the safety protocols in place to have uh, on-campus intensive classes. Yes. So that'll be great. Yeah. But even if we don't have those, we got all the other uh, synchronous learning classrooms already yep. to go. Yeah, come get a doctorate or a master's at Northern. It's the place to be. All right. Good to be with you, and until next time, we are signing off over and out.